Good morning, church family. My name is Jeremy Mecklack. I'm one of the pastors here at Riverstone. I want to welcome you here this morning. If you're a visitor, maybe this is your first time. We're so glad you're here with us to worship together. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. And um, we have an awesome passage for us this morning that Peter is going to specifically address husbands and wives. But this passage is for all of us as Christians. And I want to say happy Father's Day. Today we can be thankful for all the fathers that have treated us with love and provided for us. Maybe it's also just men in our lives that are spiritual fathers to us. And as Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, we thanks be to God, the Father of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For he, is, he has called us children uh, of himself because of his grace for us. So um, before we get into the Bible and get into 1 Peter chapter 3, um, if you don't have a Bible, one of the things that we like to do within the youth group and youth ministry is we like to open up the Bible for ourselves. I know the words are going to be up on the screens, but even if you're at home too, if you have a Bible, you can take it out. If you don't have one with you this morning, we have these awesome people, ushers, that are coming forward to pass out a Bible. I just find it so much better to open up a Bible to read from it. I think there's something to the physical touch an actual smell of the Bible too. You can remember it a little bit better. So if you want to, you can raise your hand. Our ushers will be happy to pass one out. And if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, we believe that this is not just black ink on white pages, but it's the living Jesus. It's God's word given to us that we can read and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can illuminate the words for us so that we can understand and be transformed because it's alive and active that it can pierce the deepest parts of our heart and soul and help us to know more about who he is and his plan for us. So um, we're going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, as we think about how we live out our faith in relationships, whether we are committed to a covenantal marriage relationship or if we're single, this passage that we're going to read, it holds truths for us because we desire to know more God more fully and to follow Christ more faithfully. So it doesn't matter what were our life situation, this is for you, this is for us, for God's people. And may we also be reminded that God tells us the husband and wife are one flesh. So a word for wives is also important for husbands and how they love their wives. May we be attentive to what God wants us to learn from today's passage as we highlight a few things in God's word this morning. But before we get into it, let's pray together. God, may our hearts and our minds be yours today. As we study your word, please reveal our sin so we may repent and believe in your grace and forgiveness. May you give us your wisdom to understand Give us your boldness to courageously obey your word. May our lives reflect your love and character. As we read this passage, please help us to be transformed by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so we're in chapter three already of 1 Peter. Our sermon series we've titled Holy Living in a Hostile World as we've been talking about what Peter has written down for believers in exile. So let's read it together. As you follow along, I'll read it, and you can read it in front of you or on the screen behind me. In the same way, 
You wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely the external braiding, the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on apparel, but it should be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, the holy women of former times who hoped in God also used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have proved to be her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. There's a lot that we're going to be going through this morning, so I want you to make sure that you're patient with me as we go through this passage. Let's not jump to any conclusions before we study it together. And the very beginning of this passage, it starts off with, in the same way. This first phrase in the passage is going to give us a context. And it's really good practice for all of us that when we study the Bible, we don't just read one verse. I'm going to be honest with you. Many devotionals, Bible app devotionals, books that we have, as you just see one verse, it's easy to take the verse completely out of the context and miss what the point is, miss the interpretation and application. So it's really important that we don't take verses out of context. So that means we need to keep in mind how the surrounding verses help us to understand the entirety of the passage. And if we just read a few words from this passage, it's easy to have an incorrect application and therefore we can dishonor the word of God and harm many people along the way. So the first phrase that Peter uses, in the same way. In the same way could mean likewise or similar to. So now we have to go back. Let's go back to a couple other chapters in chapter 2 to see what Peter is referring to when he says, in the same way. In chapter 2, Peter tells all Christians to be subject to government authorities. Chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. You remember that passage? Servants to be subject to their masters in verses 18 to 25. And right in between the passages after that and right between that and the passage that we read about Jesus was last week, Jesus submits himself to the will of God the Father as he willingly suffered and died for us. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says this. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So even in the passage after this now, Peter addresses everyone in the church to have an attitude of humility towards one another. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells the church that they ought to submit to one another. Submission is a wider Christian virtue for all of us to pursue, and it has its unique fitting and expressions in various relationships. So today, we're focusing on the relationship of a wife to her husband. It is within this context of Christ's humility and submissive heart that Peter now exhorts wives to be subject to their own husbands. 
So with that as the backdrop to this passage, it helps us to understand our motivation for applying this word to our daily lives. And I believe that many of us have different definitions of what submission should look like between a husband and a wife. So one of my hopes this morning is to help all of us to have a clear understanding of what submission is and what submission is not. God has given husbands a level of authority over their wives. The relationship between a husband and a wife is very important because there's no other relationship like it. It is the relationship between a husband and a wife that Jesus Christ describes how he relates to the church. In the same way Christ loves the church, the husband ought to love his wife. So throughout the Bible, God shows us different ways in which submission is a part of his plan. Jesus submits to his parents' authority. Citizens submit to the government authority. The universe submits to Jesus Christ. Christ submits to God the Father. The church members submit to the church leaders. The church submits to Jesus Christ. And all Christians submit to God. These relationships are never reversed. So, the word for submission is more than being thoughtful and considerate towards someone. It doesn't mean it is an act of love, for we know that God loves all. God loves the Son, right? These relationships are never reversed. So it has a different meaning than just to love someone. We will see in verse 6 that this act of submission, it can be represented by obedience. But it doesn't always mean that. We may be tempted to equate submission for obedience, but that is a very dangerous thing to do. Because that can lead to husbands lording power over their wives and create abusive relationships. The most important thing for us to understand about submission is that it's about the heart. For when Jesus called us to follow him, he didn't only desire our behaviors and, and actions to change, but he wants our entire being to change, which truly begins right here, our hearts. God's always been involved with changing our hearts. So our hearts can be described as our innermost being, our motivations, our desires, our character, our attitude. It's the emotional, intellectual, and moral seed of our lives. It's hard to describe the heart, isn't it? Because it's part of us, but it's also who we are. So perhaps a definition for submission that could be acceptable, something that we can remember from today, is this. Our heart's attitude and inclination to affirm the God-given authority or relationship responsibilities of another. I'm going to say that again. Submission is our heart's attitude and inclination to affirm the God-given authority or leadership responsibilities of another. So what I do not want us to do is put submission in a box and call it obedience and just push it to the side and move on. Because the passage tells us otherwise. So we're going to get into it today. And our attitude and motivation in our submission is like fruit from ultimately having our trust and belief 
rooted in God and his word. A wife submits to her husband because she loves Jesus. In a family, there's a God-given responsibility and authority given to the husband. The husband has leadership responsibilities with his wife and family because he's been given this authority. God will also keep the husband accountable to that responsibility. Where there is responsibility, there will be accountability. So let's read the first two verses again, now that we have this backdrop. In the same way, you wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your pure and respectful behavior. Wives are to have a heart that affirms the God-given responsibilities of her husband. It does not say women are to submit to all men. A wife submits to her own husband. Peter also says, so that, even if any of them. So that means in order that, or with the purpose to. Peter's not permitting believing women to marry unbelieving men. However, Peter is specifically addressing a very difficult circumstance for a wife to be married to someone that does not believe God's word. Peter's writing this entire letter, this book, full of compassion and sincerity, not full of judgment and criticism. He's writing to the believers that are fleeing for their lives because they love Jesus. The last chapter, in chapter 2, Peter writes to the believers believing in Jesus and their heart towards the government that's killing their friends and family just because they believe in Jesus. Peter, he has compassion for these people given their, dif their difficult circumstances. And so again here, Peter brings up a situation about a wife who has a personal relationship with Jesus and she's married to a man that has not believed. The husband most likely has heard the gospel but doesn't believe. I think that because it says the husband has been disobedient to the word, which seems to me to show that he has heard the truth but has chosen to deny it. God desires us to know that he has the power to change lives. Isn't that true? He's the only one that can change our hearts. It's not our duty to change hearts, but to give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of people. And God can choose to use his power through his people. We've seen that all throughout the Bible. And in this case, God can use a wife's beliefs, behavior, and actions to change her husband in truth. But be careful, church, because this passage is not a guarantee or prescription for wives. It's not saying if you love Jesus well enough or have enough faith, then your husband will believe too. And I want to be sensitive because I know some of us, we have unbelieving spouses. And it's a very, very difficult circumstance. And Peter is showing compassion and speaking truth to it. It's not about having enough faith to change anyone. 
But we know that God alone has the power and he can choose to use a wife to change her husband. We ought to be obedient to God so that we, all of us, can make an impact on the people around us, no matter our circumstances. And so this sermon series, we called it A Holy Living in a Hostile World. Our lives, your life, can be used by God to transform the lives of others. That is powerful. It's the reason why we come together on a Sunday morning to worship together, to encourage one another as we live out our lives in faith and truth so that others may come to know Jesus. Just like James said, faith without works is dead. The behavior resulting from a submissive heart toward God is a powerful tool that God uses to bring people to himself. So if we desire to see more people drawn to God, it's through our pursuit of personal holiness, through obedience to God's word. It's through our pursuit of personal holiness, through obedience to God's word, that we can bring people to a holy God. Our faith is shown through our heart's obedience. And Peter says a husband will see his wife's behavior as pure and respectful. The way a wife pursues purity and a life clinging to what is good and hating evil will show her husband that she loves God. She's powerful because she follows a powerful God. Her way of living is so pure and holy that her husband is drawn to the purity and holiness as well. Wives, the way that you live your life at home reflects your relationship with God. And it's through the pureness of obedience to God that attracts people to trust in a holy God. And Peter does not give conditions about what kind of husband a wife should submit to. He doesn't say, wives, submit to your husbands unless they're not intelligent or unless they're wrong or not faithful to God. So this is very difficult. We need patience. This is why we know that the biblical definition for submission is not simply obedience. In other words, a wife can be submissive and choose to think for herself and make decisions that are contrary to what her husband wants. Peter knows that we live in a fallen world. The submission of a wife to her husband is not going, is, it's going to look different than how Jesus submits to the Father because God is perfect. We are not. Husbands are not. And it's terribly wrong to even think we are close to it. A wife can be submissive and desire to change her husband. And in the example that we see is the wife has chosen to follow Christ and her husband has not. They have very different thoughts about the most important issues, and yet she can still be submissive. And this is because submission is a heart issue. A believing wife is ultimately submitting herself to God, and therefore her allegiance is first to God before anyone else. A wife does not get her primary source of spiritual life from her husband. She receives that from her personal relationship with God. Her relationship with God is not dependent on her husband. Not as a primary source. Yes, husbands, we should be loving our wives in a way that draws them closer to God. 
A husband ought to lead and love his wife and help them spiritually, but he should never be the primary source of spiritual life for his wife. We see this in verse 7, that the Bible never teaches that husbands can command their wives to do what they say or lord anything over them. It doesn't give a husband the right to control, manipulate, abuse, instill fear, or dictate their wife. But on the contrary, a husband ought to lay down his life for his wife, ought to love his spouse as Christ loves the church. He ought to give his life for his wife and ask for advice, request her help. But again, unfortunately, we live in a fallen world and there are husbands that try to lead their wives and families in ways that are abusive and manipulative, neglectful, or destructive. And for some husbands, they have read passages just like this one from the Bible and have misused it. I'm sorry if you've ever been found yourself to be in an abusive relationship. I don't want to ignore the fact just because we call ourselves Christians, just because we gather here on a Sunday morning, that that does not happen here in our church. But I'm sorry if you found yourself in an abusive relationship, especially one that seems to be grounded on the misuse of the Word of God. And if you're in a marriage in crisis, we love you. We desire to help you. And God desires to see every marriage succeed. And I say we love you because I don't want you to feel alone. And I, I would ask you and beg you to please speak to an elder if there's any trouble or crisis in your marriage. Don't wait to tell us until there's nothing left to your covenant relationship. Because the devil will try to tempt us in keeping these things hidden in our church. And church, family, please be praying for the marriages in our church. That our marriages will point people to Christ because how we remain pure in our marriages and at home and our faithfulness and how we uphold our marriage covenants is how we reflect that to the community around us. If we want to show the community that we love God, it starts at home and in the most important relationships in our marriage covenant relationships. Now we're in verse 3. <laughs> Your adornment must not be merely the external braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on apparel, but it should be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable, imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. A wife's adornment should not be focused on the outside. A wife can take care of herself and appreciate the time to be healthy, appropriate, and presentable, of course, However, it's how she spends her time and her attention. Her focus should not be on what she looks like on the outside. And in the Greek, there's no descriptive word before clothes or apparel. So it could read and should read, your beauty does not come from elaborate hairstyles, gold jewelry, or clothes. So I can assure you that Peter still wants everyone to be wearing clothing but he emphasizes the importance of what things we should focus on and how we should give our attention. There's a lot of pressure from our culture, from our world, from our friends, from our peers, from our families, even ourselves, 
to look a certain way that can control our life, consume our attention, our time, our money, our resources, and even our minds and our souls. The things that we put our attention to can become a grasp on our minds and our souls and our hearts. Jesus was the one, he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. If you spend enough attention and thought on what you look like on the outside, then your faith in God, your faithfulness and your character, it'll deteriorate. Our faith will follow what we chase. So if we chase after temporary things and shallow things like the way we look, then our faith will be shallow and easily compromised. One way we see this in our culture, ever since Apple popularized the front-facing camera on the phone, it was in 2010, the iPhone, uh, we heard the term selfie. It's become an international phenomenon now. It says that the average person will take over 25,000 selfies in their lifetime. Now, some of you might not even have an iPhone, so the average, so maybe those <laughs> who have that camera, maybe they're taking more for, for the others who aren't taking any pictures at all. I don't know. I don't know how that works out. But fast forward another 13 years to today, and now we're looking at social media ambassadors, whole careers that are in this, influencers who influence potential buyers of a product or service by promoting or recommending the items through social media. Now, I'm not saying that those things are wrong or bad careers, but again, it's fuel for this mindset to look a certain way on the outside from both men and women. I'm not just speaking to women here because men, we also fuel this mindset. Men have expectations of what women should look like and talk like and act like. And if women don't fit the expectation to look a certain way, then they're rejected. It's true. So the challenge here is not just for women to be careful, but also for men to be careful what they're looking for in a woman and how they should treat women. God taught us to look at the inner beauty found in the heart, which comes from hope in God. Men, that's what we should be desiring most in a woman, is their inner beauty that's found from hope in God. Instead of focusing our attention on what we look like, there's something so much greater so much of greater worth to God. That's the unfading beauty. That's what Peter says, the unfading beauty. So remember the word unfading also was a word that described our inheritance, the living hope from chapter one. The unfading beauty is displayed from a gentle and quiet spirit because when our hope is in God, it's unshakable. We become the kind of person that's less insistent about getting what we want or demanding our rights because we're filled with patience and kindness and gentleness and joy. We are quiet because we're filled with humility. We think less about ourselves and more about others and Christ. We're not silent because God is not silent, but we bring hope and not judgment. We are here to serve and to love, not to bring condemnation. So all throughout the Bible, we read about the true stories 
of women of God who adorned themselves with the unfading beauty because they had strong, unshakable hope in God. Stories like Ruth and Hannah and Lydia, Rebecca, Naomi, Rachel, Abigail, Rahab, Deborah, Esther, Elizabeth, Mary, and Sarah, who's spoken about here. They were bold in following God and yet quiet in thinking about themselves. When our confidence is in God, we do not need to be loud about ourselves. Peter says in verse 5, chapter 3, For in this way, the holy women of former times who hoped in God also used to adorn themselves, being subject to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have proved to be her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. We might not actually or usually think about Sarah when we remember the story of Abraham and Isaac. Do you remember that story? That God spoke to Abraham to bring up his son Isaac, to sacrifice him. Well, God also gave Sarah a child, right? She was the one that had him in her old age. And she had to watch Abraham take her son up the mountain. I can't imagine what she may have been thinking or feeling. What faith she had to trust in God to let her husband go with her only son up that mountain and not know who would come back. But when facing fear, a wife that has her hope in God is fearless. Proverbs chapter 31 verse 25, it says, Strength and honor are her clothing, and she can laugh at the days to come. She can laugh because she has her hope rooted in God. Her hope will never change. It will never be taken away because her inheritance is in heaven. The things she hopes for are already hers and can never be taken. So mature Christian women know that following Christ will mean suffering. But believe in the promises like in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14. But even you should suffer for righteousness. For righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. It's what Christian women do. They entrust their souls to a faithful creator. They hope in God and they triumph over all fear. In verse 6, it says, Sarah called Abraham Lord. This word, it's no special title. It's Lord with a lowercase l here. So it would be like saying, Sir, or my Lord. Her supreme allegiance is to the Lord with the capital L, the Lord Almighty. And so in verse 7, it says, You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker. Since she is a woman and show her honor as fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. 
For a wife to submit to her husband, it doesn't mean that there is any difference of importance, of dignity, or honor. The command for wives to be subject to their husbands, it never means that wives are inferior in personhood or spirituality. Husbands and wives, men and women, are equal of importance, worth, value, always and forever. Peter says, wives, you're joint heirs, co-heirs with your husbands. You're receiving the same reward because they have the same honor and importance. I know there are people who will read this passage, they'll read this verse, and they'll focus on just one phrase, women are weaker. And they'll use it to demean or to look down on women. Peter's speaking to the nature of God's design for creation between men and women. God specifically, on purpose, created two genders, male and female, both equally in his image. Amazing God. The weaker vessel means that women generally physically weaker than men. Throughout history, there are instances of men who used brute force to abuse and exercise their power over women. But this is not what God desires for men. Husbands should use their strength to honor their wives, to honor their wives. Husbands and wives are equal in importance, worth, and honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. Amen? It also means that husbands, you have an enormous responsibility. Again, in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. A husband has responsibility before God in the way he loves his wife. We also know that God often is often pleased to give honor to those who are weak. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, But God chose the things of this world the foolish things of this world, to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. A husband needs to show her honor. That's what Peter says. It means much more than just showing respect. It's Father's Day. Husbands, show her honor. It's a special honor. Husbands should never take advantage of their wife. Husbands should not misuse their authority or power in their marriage for selfishness, but use it to bestow honor to their wife. Lastly, Peter gives a warning to husbands for how they love their spouses. Look closely. Peter mentions something about how our prayers as husbands could be hindered by the way that we love our spouses. A husband and a wife relationship is the closest and most intimate relationship there is. If a husband fails at treating his wife with honor, 
then his prayers can be hindered, the Bible says. Our prayer life can be cut off and ineffective. In James, it says that the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Our prayers can be powerful and effective. But in other words, a free, open, real, satisfying prayer life is not automatic. How can we believe that our prayers will be effective or ineffective if we're not living the way that God intended? But we can, our prayers can be effective if we're living the way that God intended within the most sacred human relationship. So within that relationship, if we are being disobedient to God, misusing God's plan for our spouse, then our prayers can be hindered. Church family, I want to close with this. May we be reminded how submission is about our hearts. Wives, may your hearts affirm the God-given authority given to your husband. Husbands, may you love your wives and treat them with high honor because they are submitting to you. For this relationship reflects Christ and his church. And so as Peter is addressing some of these difficult circumstances, may we remember that we submit to one another, that we are submitting to Jesus, to God and his word, that the way that we are obedient to his word today makes an impact to those around us. Family, may we pray for our marriages May we pray for those who are in that covenantal relationship, that they would uphold that relationship. Let's pray together on this Father's Day. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you that your word speaks about relationships that are so meaningful to us. Parts of our lives that we might not always think about, but we're so thankful that we have application from your word about some of these most important things. God, we've seen many instances about how your word has been used and abused, misinterpreted so that men could lord power over women. But Lord, we are so thankful that we know that, yes, you have created men and women uniquely different but equally to reflect who you are in your, as your image. So Lord, we pray that as husbands, we would love our spouses, we would love our wives, as you, as Jesus, loves his church. May we lay down our lives in high honor for our spouses as our wives submit to their husbands so that we can glorify you, magnify Christ, and so that many people would be drawn to the truth about who you are. God, we love you so much, and we pray for our marriages in this church. God, we pray that our marriages would glorify you and magnify Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church family. Happy Father's Day. Have a great weekend. Enjoy your day.